Today's reading is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Let's see. Oh, there we go. Now I've got everybody in front. Let's see. I just have to orient some things on my end and then we'll get started. All right. If you'd all uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, you love us more than we can imagine. You love us with the kind of love that we deeply long for and so often miss. Please open our eyes and our hearts to the love that you are showing us today and every day. The love that we read about in your word. Amen. Amen. Our, uh, our scripture reading today is what a lot of people might recognize as the wedding passage. It gets read at so many weddings, at Christian weddings, at non-Christian weddings, uh, because it's exactly what we want to hear at a celebration of love. It gives us this beautiful, soaring description of the kind of love that we all dream about, this perfect, harmonious, selfless love, the kind of love we see in Hollywood movies and Nicholas Sparks novels. But I also want to uh, be real for a minute and look at some of the sobering realities we see around us. How do we reconcile the dreamy, romantic idealism of 1 Corinthians 13 with the harsh realities that we see in marriage and relationships today? Because the numbers don't lie when it comes to marriage and divorce. According to the American Psychological Association, about 90% of people will marry by the age of 50. However, about 50% of those marriages end in divorce. And the numbers aren't really all that much better in the Christian community as opposed to the non-Christian community. So what does that say? How do we make sense of this? How are we supposed to take these lofty words seriously when reality often gives us something very different? Well, that's going to be our focus this morning as we continue going through our series looking at essential failures. Today's essential failure being finding your soulmate. Esther Perel is a world-famous marriage and relationship therapist, and in 2006 she wrote a book called Mating in Captivity which I think is hilariously apt for us during this moment because I think a lot of us feel like captives, although I can't really speak to the mating part. Uh, a few weeks back, she did an interview on NPR on how the lockdowns taking place all over the world are affecting different couples. What happens when you take a seemingly normal relationship or marriage and confine these people in the same space for months on end? She describes this lockdown as a relationship accelerator. It rearranges the couple's priorities and throws the superfluous and shallow things out the window. 
and this lockdown has been both good and bad for different couples. It's been bad for the couples that you'd probably think it would be bad for. The ones who have always sort of picked at each other, criticized each other, the couples that have always uh, had a hard time empathizing with one another, the couples that argue about who is sacrificing more for who in the relationship. For many, this lockdown has proven to be the final nail in the coffin of a relationship that was already a goner. But the lockdown has actually been a blessing in disguise for other couples, those who've been forced to sit down and deal with some of the issues that they might have been avoiding. For some, this pandemic has served as a sort of project that brings them closer together. They learn to cooperate more, communicate better, sacrifice more willingly. The lockdown has been responsible for ending some relationships and for saving others. But one thing that has been universal for every person who's been forced to shelter in their home, whether married or single, uh, divorced, the, this lockdown has been an accelerator, a pressure cooker for the issues and feelings that are already existing inside of us. The feelings and issues that we've had long before any of us had ever even heard of COVID-19. All of those things have just been accelerated and amplified by these lockdowns. For instance, if you were in a dating relationship and you thought that this person might be the one, I bet that now they look even more irresistible than ever, especially if you are supposed to be quarantining apart from each other. That urge to get married and accelerate the relationship at a faster pace so that you can move into the same space has probably only been getting stronger. Or if you were in a marriage and the two of you kept fighting uh, about the same things over and over and over again, this lockdown might have been sort of a make it or break it moment for this argument. Either you finally resolve this conflict or perhaps this has only driven the wedge deeper than you thought it could go. Or maybe if you're single and you felt lonely before the lockdown, I can imagine that those feelings have only gotten stronger. Before the shutdown started, many of us were able to keep these issues and feelings at bay by busying ourselves with all sorts of different things. But now that practically every part of society has ground to a halt, we are left with nothing else to distract us from these emotions that have been there the whole time. Suddenly, the things that we were looking for in the romantic arena of life have become more pressing and important than ever. The same therapist, Esther Perel, has a famous quote about the incredibly high demands that we bring into our search for a romantic partner. She says, we come to one person and we basically are asking them to give us what once an entire village used to provide. Give me belonging, give me identity, Give me continuity, but give me transcendence and mystery and awe all in one. Give me comfort, give me edge, give me novelty, give me familiarity, give me predictability, and give me surprise. We look to one person to meet our deepest longings. We look to them to answer the question that many of us have been asking since middle school. Am I lovable? Deep down, we all want to be wanted. We all have this desire to feel like we are desirable. And if or when we enter a relationship, we place these incredibly heavy expectations on the other person to meet our emotional needs, our relational needs, our sexual needs, our need to feel affirmed and safe, 
We expect them to give us value and meaning and purpose. And then when they inevitably come up short, we wonder to ourselves why we are so often disappointed. A wise person once told me that expectations are nothing more than preconceived resentments. That expectations are nothing more than preconceived resentments. When we put expectations like this on another human being who is just as flawed and selfish as we are, we are only tilling the soil for our own bitter resentment to take root. And I think this is why the most popular article in the New York Times in the year 2016 had nothing to do with Hillary's emails or Brexit or the Olympics or Russian hackers. The most popular article in one of the most widely read newspapers in the world was titled, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. And in it, the author lays down some really good insights. First, he says, no one can be in an optimal frame of mind to choose a partner when remaining single feels unbearable. We have to be wholly at peace with the prospect of many years of solitude in order to be appropriately picky. Otherwise, we risk loving the idea of no longer being single rather more than, the, than we love the partner who spared us from that fate. And second, we need to swap the romantic view of marriage for a tragic, and that points comedic awareness that every human will frustrate, anger, annoy, madden, and disappoint us. And we will do the same to them. There can be no end to our sense of emptiness and incompleteness. But none of this is unusual or grounds for divorce. Choosing whom to commit ourselves to is merely a case of identifying which particular variety of suffering we would most like to sacrifice ourselves for. Ooh, I see some of you shaking your heads. <laughs> when we realize that a spouse can never be the personal savior we thought that they could be. When we realize that maybe the freedom that we enjoyed about being single can also sometimes force us to carry the same burdens, this, this need to feel affirmed, to feel safe and to feel empowered. Sometimes we are forced to carry these burdens on our own. And at the end of the day, we are left with the same unanswered questions that we've always had. Am I lovable? Will anybody ever want me? Could anybody desire me? And what if they don't? What if I'm not lovable? Does this mean that I'll end up alone forever? But what if we stopped looking for the answer to these questions and the romance and pageantry of Valentine's Day, and we started looking for these answers in the passion of Good Friday? the day Jesus gave up everything, his status, his dignity, and even his life because he found you so incredibly lovable, because he desired you, because he wanted to be with you forever. You know, what if, what if instead of a dozen red roses being this amazing symbol of love, we looked at just the stems, just the thorns, which made up Jesus' crown as the ultimate sign of love? What if instead of a wedding ring, being the ultimate sign of dedication and faithfulness, we looked at the cross, the place Jesus gave his life for you and me as the greatest symbol of dedication and faithfulness. What if we traded in Cupid's hearts and arrows for the heart which was pierced for you and me on the cross, the heart where blood and water flowed after being punctured by a soldier's spear? 
If we find ourselves looking for our ultimate sense of belonging, of affirmation, of value, our ultimate sense of being wanted and cared for in a romantic partner, we are only setting ourselves up for failure and disappointment. But if we look for these things in Christ, if we look for him, for our deepest sense of belonging, for affirmation of who we truly are, for our value and meaning, for desire, passion, and truly selfless love, we will find more than any Hollywood movie or romance novel could ever dream of. I think this is why the image of the church as a bride and Christ as her groom is used so often in the Bible. It's a perfect picture of the kind of love and commitment that we find when we stop looking for infinite love in finite people. And we accept the all-satisfying love that Jesus has for us. Because really, I think Esther Perel said it right. <laughs> you, you want belonging, identity, and continuity? Well, how about looking to the one who calls you to be his own, who gives you a name and a place of honor at the wedding feast, at the banquet, who knew you from before you were born and will be there to embrace you when your life comes to an end? You want transcendence and mystery and awe? A romantic partner can only give you a shadow of these things. But how about looking to the one who called the universe into being? The one who can, you can spend your life trying to figure out, but you will only ever scratch the surface. There will always be more to discover, more to learn, more relationship to dive into. How about looking to the one who can open your mind and your heart to ideas and emotions that you've never experienced? You want comfort and you want edge? How about looking to the one who knows your deepest hurts intimately and can heal them with his loving touch? who's also the same person who can challenge you to be more than you ever thought you could be. Only one person can ever bear the weight of these expectations and meet them with ease. And if you put these expectations on another person, they will only crumple like a piece of paper. But if you put them on the one who is able to carry the burden of the cross for you, this will be no harder for him to lift than when a mother picks up her newborn child. It is no burden at all in comparison to what he's already carried for you. Jesus is the one whose love is patient and kind. He does not envy, he does not boast, he is not proud. He doesn't dishonor others, he isn't self-seeking, he is not easily angered, and he keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Our true love always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Christ never fails. We're going to take a minute now, and I'm just going to put some uh, reflection uh, things up on the, on the screen. And um, in about a minute or so, we'll, we'll end our time in prayer.
please pray with me. Lord, forgive us for putting these incredible expectations for love and meaning and fulfillment on others instead of you. For looking things that only you can provide in small places. Help us to see ourselves as your bride who is infinitely loved, who you desire, who you care for, who you want. Help us to remember that. Amen. <laughs>